Psalms 48. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. In the city of our God, his holy mountain, it is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. Like the utmost heights of Sephon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labor. You destroyed them like ships of Tahish, shattered by an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God. God makes her secure forever. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love, like your name, O God. Your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. This is God's word. Thanks, Jennifer, for reading scripture for us. And good morning to you all. So good to gather with you all on the Lord's Day. And Merry Christmas as well. Uh, well, before we begin in Psalm 48, just a quick announcement. This will be our last sermon for the year. And wow, next year is upon us. So in 2022, for the first month of 2022, we'll be spending some time just thinking about prayer. So we have a four-sermon series on prayer to help us to understand better what it means to pray. Uh, we'll be looking at four key aspects of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So the Acts uh, framework for prayer just to help us to come before God and really praise Him, ask of Him, uh, bring our sins to Him, uh, seek His forgiveness, and then pray for one another as well. So I hope that this sermon series will strengthen our prayer life individually as well as corporately as God's people. And to help us follow along with this sermon series, there will be a prayer devotion. So if you scan that QR code, it brings you to a prayer devotion that uh, quite a number of you all, GBC members, have contributed to. I'm really grateful for how many of you have written uh, short uh, entries in, in this devotion just to help us to think about various passages in Scripture as those passages talk about the different aspects of prayer. So download that devotion, use that devotion to follow along our sermon series, use that for your own devotions as you pray and read Scripture in January. I'll give you just another moment to... Scan the QR code and get that devotion. Well, friends, let us join our hearts and pray as we prepare our hearts to receive from God's Word. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for this day that we can gather as your people. We thank you that we can gather to celebrate the coming of your Son. Father, we thank you for your love your mercy and your grace in sending him for us and for our salvation. And Father, as we come, we pray that you would strengthen us. We pray that you would pour out your spirit, uh, open our hearts to you, grant us eyes to see the glory of Christ. And we pray that you would move our hearts to desire him, so that we would trust him and rest in him. We pray this in his name. Amen. 
24-year-old Chris McCandless was a bright young man from a well-to-do family with a promising future. But after graduating with top grades from university, he stopped communicating with his family and began traveling across the western United States on his own. You know, he, gave all his pos- he gave all his savings to charity, including uh, his car, so he abandoned his car and other stuff, and he invented a new life for himself. In April 1992, uh, McCandless embarked on a solo hiking trip in the Alaskan wilderness. And the purpose of his solitary journey was to find happiness or some sort of enlightenment. He survived for 113 days in very harsh conditions in the Alaskan wilderness. And on, and on September 6, McCandless's body was found in an abandoned bus, so that's the bus in the photograph, where he had sought shelter. And not long before he died, McCandless had scribbled in one of the books that rescuers found in that bus, and he scribbled these words, rather poignant words. He said, happiness is only real when shared. Apparently, McCandless had starved to death in the wilderness. Happiness is only real when shared. As God said soon after he created all things, it is not good that man should be alone. We are social beings. In living through the pandemic, this has been especially difficult, hasn't it? You know, we live in days of distance, and it's been tough. You know, many are struggling with a sense of disconnectedness. Many are struggling with loneliness. And being apart from family and friends has been hard. And we've come to realize that while technology can help, and I'm speaking here to especially those who are watching this online, while technology can help, it is still no substitute for meeting in person in the flesh. In fact, our online meetings often leave us more fatigued than refreshed. You know, Zoom fatigue is a thing, right? It's a real thing. We've come to realize in these two years of distance that presence matters. Presence matters. It matters for our relationships with one another. And as we'll see from Psalm 48, it matters for our relationship with God as well. Now, you may be here because it's Christmas weekend. Maybe someone invited you, or you're here on your own. Maybe you found us on the website and decided to pop in for a visit. Well, welcome. However you came to be with us, you are very welcome, and I'm so glad that you are present with us. Some of us may be curious about God. Maybe we wonder about whether we can know God. Some of us may be feeling rather far from God. So we, we don't just feel our distance from other people. Maybe we feel our distance from God as well. Maybe we're wondering how we can return to Him, if we can return to Him, or how we can return to Him. But the good news I put to us, the good news of Psalm 48, is that we can know God and we can return to Him. In fact, this God, as Psalm 48 reveals to us, this God is a God who delights to draw near, a God who is present with His people. And He is God with us. You know, over the past two months, we've been going through really two sermon series, one in the Psalms called The King and His People. You know, throughout this year, we've looked at Psalm 42 to 47, and Psalm 48 
is the culmination of that sermon series. And in, the, in addition to that, over the past month, we've looked through this, we've gone through this sermon series looking at excerpts from the Gospel of John entitled, Glory Has Come. Well, in Psalm 48, you know, both these sermon series really find a fitting conclusion. You see, Psalm 48 speaks of how God is the King who dwells with His people, a King who has revealed His glory with, to His people. And Psalm 48 speaks of how this glorious King has come, glory has come to be with us. And we want to spend our time this morning just meditating on this precious truth using two points. The King is with us, point one, and our joy in the King. That's our second point. So let's dive in to look at the first point. The King is with us, looking at verses one to seven. Now I have a friend who says that we shouldn't speak in superlatives unless we are referring to God. And what he means is that we shouldn't say things like great, awesome, you know, fantastic, unless we're referring to God. Right? And I think he may have a point because we use words like great and awesome so frequently that perhaps they lose some of their impact. Right? You know, we say things like, oh, have a great day. You know, Every day is a great day. And for those of you who are fans of the Lego movie, you know, we say things like, everything is awesome. You know, but friends, if everything's awesome, then maybe nothing is awesome. <laughs> you know, so when, when the psalmist says in verse 1, great is the Lord, right? he's, he's using that superlative great very, very carefully, very, very intentionally. Right? He's saying that God alone is great. And God alone is worthy of all of our worship. Right? He says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Because God is great and no other person or thing is great, therefore God alone is greatly to be praised. No other thing, no other God. And where is God praised? The psalmist says it's in the city of our God. Verse 1. He's to be praised among His people because He dwells with His people. God's presence is a good thing and God's presence prompts his people to praise Him. And therefore, the psalmist says, great is the Lord. You know, he uses that covenantal name of God, the Lord. You know, this is God's personal name, the name that God revealed to Moses when He rescued Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Right? This is His name that speaks of His grace, His mercy, His steadfast love, His faithfulness to His saving promises. He is the Lord, the God who is personal, the God who enters into a covenant relationship with people, a God who draws near in faithfulness to His promises. Now, to help us to understand some of the opening verses in Psalm 48, some Old Testament history is helpful. So, so bear with me as I walk through a bit of the, the Old Testament history. So God reveals Himself to Moses. Right? He said He's the Lord who keeps His saving promises. And then He rescues Israel from slavery in Egypt. So Israel comes out of Egypt and Israel journeys through the wilderness on its way to the promised land. And while they journey through the wilderness, God is present with them. So how do we know that God is present with them? Right? God is present because He has two symbols of His presence with His people. Right? The Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle. So the Ark is not Noah's Ark, so not the boat, but the Ark is its box. And in the box contains the two tablets of stone inscribed with 
the law, right? The, the covenant is the, is the covenantal document. And then this ark is placed in the tabernacle, right? In the holy of holies. So as Israel makes its way through the wilderness, they are assured that God is with them every step of the journey because he travels with them in the ark, in the tabernacle. So fast forward, sometime after Israel has settled in the promised land, this man called David, David conquered the city of Jerusalem from the Jebusites. And then he makes Jerusalem his capital. So Jerusalem becomes the capital of Israel, and that's where David rules from as king. And then in a very significant gesture, you can read about that in 2 Samuel 6, David brings the Ark of God into Jerusalem. It's a very significant gesture. Because what does that mean? It means that the very presence of God is now associated with this city, with this place, Jerusalem. And that's why the psalmist calls Jerusalem the city of God, because it's the place where God's presence dwells. It's the place where God is with his people. Fast forward a bit more. So after King David died, his son Solomon built the temple on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And at the dedication of the temple, God manifests his presence with his people. You can read about that in the opening chapters of 1 Kings. God manifests his presence with his people by filling the temple with his glory. In fact, so glorious is God's presence that the priests can't even enter the temple to minister there. And this is why, again, the psalmist calls Mount Zion God's holy mountain. Right? These places have become associated with God's presence through the ark, through the temple. And the psalmist says God's people are blessed because God is with them. Right? His presence makes Jerusalem special. Otherwise, Jerusalem is just another town. But His presence makes Jerusalem special. It makes Jerusalem holy and beautiful. Right? Jerusalem has no inherent value in and of its own, but, but God's presence makes it holy and beautiful. You know, I was trying to think about, uh, of an illustration for this point, and I think one, the one I could come up with was, was the sun. Imagine a cold and dreary day, you know, especially if you're in a temperate country and it's the winter time, it's cold, it's dark, it's dreary. Imagine when the sun begins to rise, you know, when the sun is present. When the sun begins to rise and, and you feel the warmth of its presence, you begin to see the light emanating from its rays. Now, I think that, that's, that's a picture of what it means for God to be present. Right? We, be, we begin to feel the, the sense of His presence, light, warmth, or you know, comfort, security. I think that, that's the picture that the psalmist paints of us, that God is present with His people, like the sun that gives us warmth and light, so we enjoy the presence of God. You know, when God is the great king and he rules over us, he is our holiness, our beauty, our joy, and our security. And God has graciously made himself known as a fortress. You know, we've, we heard about this from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And the good news is that he invites us to take refuge in him, 
He doesn't need to, but He graciously invites us to come into His presence. Right? This is the God that we worship, a God who invites us to come. Don't keep your distance, but come. Come to Him. Enjoy His presence. You know, the Protestant reformer Martin Luther put it well, a mighty fortress is our God. Why wouldn't we want to share in the blessing of His presence? Beloved, if God is for us, if God is with us, then who can be against us? You know, God protects and saves His people from His enemies. In verses 4 to 6, the psalmist describes how hostile forces are arrayed, ganged up against Jerusalem. But no sooner had they come together than they fled away in fear when they saw how God is with His people. You know, maybe they, they, they come to Jerusalem and they see this impressive city on a hill and they begin to fear, right? How do we conquer such an impressive, an impressive city on a hill? You know, in 1588, the Spanish Armada, or you know, Spanish for Battle Fleet, was poised to invade England. And they were about to cross the English Channel, you know, not, not a very wide body of water. And they had around 130 ships with 8,000 sailors and 18,000 soldiers. With, and on the ships, they had 1,500 brass guns and another 1,000 iron guns. You know, it was a very impressive navy. It was the superpower of the day. In fact, in fact, people called it the great and most fortunate navy. The English forces, on the other hand, were significantly weaker. So you can imagine if you, you, know, if you stand on, on England's coast and, and you, you, know, you scout the horizon and you see these, this fleet of ships kind of poised to invade. I mean, you, know, you probably take fear. So the English were really worried. But surprise, surprise, the, the weather, you know, I know they complain about the weather a lot in England, but here the, the weather came to England's rescue. A huge storm described as one of the most northern hurricanes ever to occur on record. This is unusual, you don't have hurricanes so far north. This hurricane smashed into the Spanish fleet and so many ships were lost that the Spanish had to turn tail and return to Spain. And it's said that the Spanish king uh, said these words, you know, that you know, I, I didn't sign up to fight against the elements. You know, so after this event, the, the Spanish gave up their plans to invade England. And, and those who describe this defeat of the Spanish, you know, they use these words. They said, he blew with his winds. He blew with his winds. And they were scattered. You know, that, sounds, that sounds very much like the psalm here, Psalm 48, in verse 7. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. You know, coincidentally, Tarshish is pretty close to Spain. <laughs> By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. I think the psalmist is expressing that confidence in God. This God controls even the forces of nature for the good of his people. This God is able to raise the waves. This God is able to still the stormy seas. Beloved, we can take comfort. We can take comfort in this God. God is sovereign over all of creation from the big things in creation down to the smallest of things, down to viruses, including the Omicron 
variant of the coronavirus. God is sovereign over all that. And do we take comfort in that? With 2022 right around the corner, some of us may be facing the year with no small amount of fear or anxiety. And we wonder what the new year may bring. But regardless of our circumstances, whether good or bad, we can trust in God, this sovereign God, who exercises His sovereignty, not in an arbitrary way, but for the good of His people. For the good of His people. We can trust in God and be secure in Him. You know, beloved, I've been so encouraged by the example of the Yo's, the Yo family. You know, many of us know that George is in hospital recovering from a massive stroke. But friends, we can give thanks to God for how He has sustained this family. You know, just receiving updates from Helen regularly, I'm so heartened by their continual trust in a sovereign God, a loving God. And they understand that even if circumstances are bad, they can continue to rest in Him. Friends, we can take heart in that, even as we pray for George's recovery. In fact, I just had a message from Helen this morning, and they say, please she says, please convey our thanks to the church family for so many expressions of loving concern, and especially for the prayers that have sustained George and his family. So thank you so much, beloved, for praying for this dear family. Let's continue to pray for them and pray that they will continue to trust in this sovereign God who holds all things in his hand. Psalm 48 presents an ideal picture of Jerusalem. You know, Psalm 48 gives us you know, this perfect portrayal of what Jerusalem is meant to be. You know, Jerusalem was meant to be a city on a hill, a beacon displaying God's glory to all the nations. Israel and its capital were to be the joy of all the earth. Verse 2, that's what the psalmist says, the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion was supposed to be a magnet for worship, attracting peoples from every country, every tongue, every tribe, every culture to come and praise God. You know, this is what Jerusalem was meant to be. That was God's plan for Jerusalem. Of course, you know, if, you, if, you, if you read the rest of the Old Testament, you know, after 1 Kings, you know the tragic story. Right? You know that Israel failed miserably in its calling. You know, instead of glorifying God, instead of being a city on a hill, drawing people to know God, Jerusalem became just like the nations. Right? Israel became just like the nations around it. Israel became idolatrous, just like the surrounding nations. Israel turned away from God, and they failed to glorify Him. And sure enough, God's glory and presence left left the city, left the temple. And Jerusalem and its temple were destroyed by foreign armies. Friends, we realize that Israel's story is our story. You know, Israel was made to glorify God, to reflect what God is like. We were made for the same purpose, every single one of us. We were made in God's image. We were fashioned to display the glory of God. You know, people were meant to look at us, God's creation, and say, yeah, that's what God looks like. The character of God, the attributes of God, the goodness of God. We were meant to reflect God's glory. We were meant to draw others to worship Him. 
to desire Him because, because His goodness was meant to be seen through us. But friends, we have all failed miserably in our calling. We have not lived faithfully as His image bearers. Instead of worshipping Him and glorifying Him, we have worshipped ourselves. We have turned away from Him and sought to live for ourselves. Israel's story is our story. And the Bible calls our prideful, self-centered rebellion against God sin. Right? So sin is not just I do lots of bad things, but, but sin is based fundamentally I fail to worship God. I fail to give thanks to Him as I should. In fact, a person can do many, many good moral things and still be a sinner in God's sight because he's not done them for the glory of God. Perhaps he's done them for his own name. And because we sin against this holy and good creator, we face his judgment against us. And just as God brought judgment on Israel and Jerusalem, he will bring judgment on us, his image bearers, who have turned away from him. So we have a problem, right? Don't we? We have a problem. How can God be with us? How can we enjoy his presence if our sins separate us from him? In fact, we don't even desire his presence. You know, we've fled from his presence, kept him at arm's length in our lives, in different aspects of our lives. So how can sinners like us be in the presence of a holy God? Now, this is a big question. In fact, it's a big question of the Old Testament. How can sinners be in the presence of a holy God? The book of Psalms was compiled after the fall of Jerusalem. So that's when you know, the, the Israelites or the Jews started collecting all the Psalms. And this book was actually compiled and finished uh, after Israel's exile. So the fact that this collection of Israel's songs post-exile included Psalm 48 that speaks of Jerusalem in this way, tells us that there is hope of return before exile. You know, this, this ideal Jerusalem, this hope of an ideal Jerusalem hasn't been abandoned. The good news is that God has not abandoned his people to their sin. You know, God has not abandoned us to our sins. And he promises grace and he promises his presence. He promises that he will still draw near to his people. The question is, how will he do that? You know, there's no temple anymore. Uh, how will he draw near to his people? The ark has been destroyed. No one knows where the ark is. Well, God says through the prophet Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's how God promises to draw near. So Mount Zion's temple may be no more, but we have something or someone much better. And around 700 years after Isaiah's prophecy, God kept his word. In the little town of Bethlehem, not too far from Jerusalem, a child was born in humble surroundings to rather humble parents, Joseph and Mary, really nobodies in the land of Israel. Our friends, this was no ordinary child. Isaiah says this of him, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This child is the promised king, the Messiah or chosen one who rules in righteousness and whose kingdom will have no end. This child is God himself come in the flesh. We have a God who understands that physical presence matters. And we should understand that too. Because we have a God who comes in the flesh. He doesn't just write letters to us. He doesn't just call us or zoom us. He comes in the flesh. Physical presence matters because it matters to God. God comes in the flesh fully divine and yet fully human. Indeed, the Gospel of Matthew says this of Mary. She will bear a son, speaking to Joseph, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means God saves. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then Matthew very helpfully explains what Emmanuel means, which means God with us. Friends, God has come and he is present with us. Not in a temple building, not in a physical city called Jerusalem, but God is with us in the very person of his son. Jesus is God come in the flesh. He is God with us. You know, God's glory may have left the temple all those years ago in the New Testament, but the good news, friends, is that God's greater glory has come. It's come in God's Son. And that's what John says in his Gospel, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We need no temple. Well, because the true temple has come. And God shows His love by sending His only Son to save sinners like us. Jesus is full of glory, yet He humbled Himself even to the point of dying on the cross. Jesus died for sinners like you and me. We do not deserve God's salvation, but Jesus laid down His life graciously to rescue us. We have separated ourselves far from God because of our sin, but this God draws near. And this God has healed our alienation from Him. This God has repaired that broken relationship that we have with Him. How? By Himself suffering separation. Jesus suffered exile from God. Jesus suffered separation from God. As He hung on that cross, He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He entered into our experience, suffered for us, died for us, that He might bring us back to God. And this is how God can be present with unworthy sinners. Because He has dealt with decisively the fault that separates us from Him. And through Christ, friends, we can be forgiven. We can be brought back to God, reconciled 
to Him. We can become, He gives us the right to become His children, not because we deserve it, not because we have earned it through our right to any good works on our part, but simply because He is a gracious and merciful and compassionate God. And that's not the end. Jesus rose from the dead in victory over sin and death, and He alone can give us life. Friends, we can draw near. We can draw near. We can draw near not because we've cleaned up our life. We can draw near not because we are faithful in coming to church every Sunday. No, we can draw near because God Himself has drawn near in the person of His Son. That's the good news of Christmas that is held out to us, every one of us. And Jesus offers Himself to us that we might find in Him the joy of the very presence of God. Friends, this is for us, every single one of us. Psalm 48 is fulfilled in Jesus. He is God with us. He is the great King who has come. He is the great King who is present with His people. He is our fortress, our refuge. And if we trust in Him, He makes us holy and beautiful in God's sight. Indeed, He is the joy of all the earth. He is what Jerusalem was meant to be, the joy of all the earth. And that's why we sing, joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. Friends, will we open our hearts to Jesus? Psalm 48, verses 8 to 14, these verses speak of the joy of having God with us. This is our second big point, our joy in the King. So five briefer points as we think about the joy that we have in the King. And I pray that as we understand the joy that we have, we'll be encouraged as His people. And if you don't know Him, I pray that these, these will be encouragements to you to come to know and to enjoy this King. Number one, we have the joy of faith and hope fulfilled. Right? Verse 8, As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. And the psalmist had heard of God's goodness, but now he sees God's goodness for himself when he comes to Jerusalem and he sees Jerusalem in its splendor before his eyes. And in a similar way, faith comes by hearing about what God has done. Faith comes by hearing the good news of how Jesus saves Faith is trusting what God's Word says about Jesus. And by hearing and believing the good news about Jesus, we then experience God's goodness and grace for ourselves. We taste and see that the Lord is good. Believing is seeing. Now, in this world, we will have trouble. You know, if the past two years haven't taught us that, <laughs> You know, in this world, we will have trouble. So we walk by faith, not by sight, as we patiently endure the pain and sorrow of life in a fallen world. But this psalm holds out hope to us. Right? This psalm tells us that one day, faith shall turn to sight. As we have heard, so we shall see. Faith shall turn to sight. Faith and hope shall be fulfilled. Like the psalmist, we are also looking forward to a city. But not an earthly city, 
but a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We are longing for a city, but we long for an eternal city. We long for a heavenly city. We long for this city that God will establish forever, where we will be in His presence forever. We will enjoy Him forever. We will enjoy His perfections forever. And we long for that city. We long for the day when we have the joy of faith and hope fulfilled. Number two, we have the joy of assurance. Verse 9, We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. Oh, the Old Testament temple reminded the psalmist of God's unfailing affection for his people. You know, as he sees the temple, he sees the temple as evidence that God is with us, that God loves us, and God is present. Now, beloved, if the psalmist was encouraged by a physical structure that was subsequently destroyed, how much more should we take heart that we have a Savior who has the power of an indestructible life? Jesus is far greater than any physical temple that was ever built. So what do we think about? Right, the psalmist says, we have thought on your steadfast love. So what do we think about? Think about, think about your week. What dominates your thoughts? What fills your mind during the week? What kind of thoughts fill your mind? Do worries and fears dominate our thoughts and weigh heavily on our minds? And as we think about 2022, are we filled with a sense of dread, sense of anxiety? Are our minds filled with worry all the time? What, what do we think about? Do we think on God's steadfast love? Do we actively, intentionally guard our thoughts and think on God's steadfast love as this psalmist encourages us to? We have something so much better than the temple. We have Christ himself. So beloved, consider Christ. Consider Christ constantly, continually, through the week, especially when we encounter troubles and difficulties. Consider Christ. Consider Christ. In him, we can be completely assured of God's love for us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Consider Christ. Look to Jesus. Think on His steadfast love. Think on His grace. Think on His mercy. Think on His compassion. Think on how this is a Saviour who delights to draw near to sinners like us. And because of Jesus, we can be confident that God is for us because He has given us the greatest gift of all. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Number three, we have the joy of praise. Verses 10 to 11. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. And the psalmist anticipates a time when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. The psalmist is looking forward to a time when God's kingdom will come. And when God's kingdom comes, God's kingdom will reach the ends 
of the earth. He will establish his rule and his reign over the peoples. Not just over Israel, but over the ends, right to the ends of the earth. Now friends, the good news is that this king has come. God's kingdom has already come because the king is here. And even now, this king, King Jesus, is gathering for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, language, nation, culture. And this king invites us to be a part of his people, to enter the joy of worshipping him. And one day, God's kingdom will come in its fullness. That's what we're looking forward to. If we are in Christ, then we will join in the vast chorus of praise as peoples from every nation, ethnicity, culture, and language gather to worship God in the new heavens and new earth. And then Jesus will truly be the joy of the whole world. And we, if we trust in Him, will be glad in Him. Beloved, this is the glorious hope that is held out to us as God's people. We shall be glad in Him when His kingdom comes in His fullness. We look forward to that. Now, whatever you think about with regards to your future, look forward to this, that Jesus is coming and He will establish His kingdom and we will have the joy of praise around the throne. Number four, the joy of speaking of God's salvation. Verses 12 to 13. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, so that you, know, that you may tell the next generation that this is God. Right? In these anxious times, what are we trusting in for our security? Is our hope found in our abilities, our accomplishments, in our savings account, in the property that we own, in the children that we have? Is our hope found in the cleverness of our plans and schemes, in our ability to make a plan? But will the work of our own hands survive the trials and tribulations of life? Psalm 48 encourages us to hope in God. Now, the psalmist encourages us to walk around, right? see what God has done. He says, walk about Zion. Behold the work of God. Behold what God has done and take heart, take courage. See how God protects and provides for His people. You know, come, come for the watch night service as we walk about Zion, right? as we think about what God has done this past year and as we think about what God has done, let that memory, that recollection of God's faithfulness strengthen us for the days ahead. Let that recollection Assure us that this God is for us and He will save us because He has been faithful in the past. See, beloved, see what God has done and take heart. The city of Jerusalem testifies to God's strengthening presence among His people. You know, the psalmist sees the strengths of Jerusalem's fortifications and he's reminded of God's grace and provision for His people. And we have better proof than an earthly city. We can look to Jesus and see what God has done. So we don't walk about Zion in the physical space, but we consider Christ. We see Him. We consider well His love, His grace, His mercy, His compassion, His holiness, His righteousness, 
we see how He is the Good Shepherd who lays down His life for the sheep, we behold the Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sins of the world. And if you want tangible evidence, look around. Look around this room. Our brothers and sisters are evidence of God's protection, His provision, and His saving grace. Listen to one another's testimonies of God's saving grace. As you hear stories of God's faithfulness, that's how we take heart. That's how we are strengthened as we see for ourselves how God provides for His people. Our lives together bear witness to God's presence. The way we love one another bears witness to God's very presence with us. And then having personally known the saving power of the gospel, what do we do? The psalmist says, you know these things so that you can tell others of these things. You tell the next generation. We have the joy of speaking of what God has done. Beloved, this is a call to volunteer for children's ministry right here. Tell the next generation. This is a command. Tell the next generation. Because you have experienced God's grace to you in the gospel, tell. Tell. Tell the children among us. doesn't matter whether they are your biological children or not. Tell the next generation. Tell the children. Tell the youths among us. Tell the young adults among us. Tell anyone who's younger than you of God's grace and faithfulness. And I speak especially to the older saints among us. You have a precious gift and you can tell the next generation of God's grace to you and you can remind them of how this is a God who draws near. This is a God who saves. It's a wonderful calling that God gives every single one of us. Finally, we have the joy of eternal security. The beauty of the earthly Jerusalem moved the psalmist to praise God for His presence. Verse 14, this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Now that God is with us in Christ, we have a more glorious hope. Because this God is our God, we are safe. He holds us safe in His everlasting arms. He will guide us forever, literally beyond death. He will guide us beyond death. The resurrected Christ has defeated death. And He will hold us fast until He returns and brings us home to be with Him in the new heavens and new earth. You know, I was reminded of this verse in Hebrews as I was preparing this sermon. Hebrews 13, verse 14. Here, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And when King Jesus returns, we shall see that city that is to come because we shall share in His joy and glory. And when Jesus comes back, we will be with God forevermore and we shall see the beauty of His face. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen. Before his tragic death in the wilds of Alaska, Chris McCandless realized that happiness is only real when shared. Friends, beloved, 
Psalm 48 reveals a deeper and more profound truth to us. True joy is found in Jesus, God with us, this Jesus who gave himself for us so that we might share in his joy. This is what Christmas is all about. God is for us. He's with us in Christ. Will we draw near to him? Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you indeed for your love and grace. Father, we thank you for how you have come through your Son. and You have lavished love upon us, love that we do not deserve, grace that we could never earn. And Father, we thank you that you are the God who delights to draw near. You are the God who is present with your people. We thank you for the wondrous invitation that we have from you that invites us to stop running away to stop keeping you at arm's length, but indeed to draw near to you. So Father, I do pray that in our hearts you would work by your Spirit, that you would powerfully open hearts to desire you, that you would draw us to yourself. For we cannot come on our own, but you are able to give us new hearts that we might come near to you. So help us, Father, we pray, in this moment of quiet, as we reflect on our lives, as we reflect on our relationship with you. Father, we pray that you will move powerfully in our hearts. Draw us near to you as we prepare for this new year. Father, may we prepare in this way. May we know you and trust you and find our hope and joy in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.